Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Hey guys, I just wanted to let you know that this podcast is presented by mybookie.ag and that if you use the promo code MATTEK, M-A-T-T-E-K, that you will get a 50% deposit bonus on your first deposit. And given that you are a listener to this podcast, I would assume you're relatively knowledgeable about sports and I would trust you to try your edge on the online sports book. You can lay down some money and get in on the action at one of the safest online sports books in the world. It's the only one that I am currently using. You can wager on all sorts of different outcomes on mybookie.ag, soccer, football, any major league, esports. You can even create your own player props, which is useful for me because if you know anything about me, I do enjoy uh, a good player prop. So if you deposit using the promo code MATTEK, M-A-T-T-E-K, you get a you get a 50% de- bonus when you deposit and i will add this for listeners of the takecast if you deposit using the promo code matic and you send proof of it to me on twitter i will follow you on twitter and you can have access to me via dms whenever you want that's the that's the takecast bonus that i'm adding in association with the mybookie.ag deposit bonus now let's get back to the show Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Tatecast. My name is Davis Maddock. You can find me on Twitter at Davis Maddock. In this episode of the show, I am joined by JJ Zacharyson of NumberFire.com and FanDuel.com. He is the editor-in-chief there. You guys probably know him as the late-round quarterback. JJ joined the show to talk about the 2018 fantasy football season, some key lessons learned, uh, do running backs matter, do they not matter, do they matter? Who could say? Uh, we have some ideas on that. Also, the news of Joe Flacco being traded to Denver broke right in the middle of the podcast. And uh, we talked a little bit of, you know, general life stuff. Who does JJ main in Overwatch and uh, some other cool stuff like that. This episode is actually brought to you by the new NFL 365 package on RotoExperts.com. That's actually the project that I am headlining there on RotoExperts.com to bring you the best NFL fantasy football, NFL draft, best ball, dynasty coverage that uh, that exists anywhere on the internet with daily articles, projections, rankings, best ball tools, everything that you could want out of your fantasy football website we will have on rotoexperts.com. You can use a promo code uh, MATTEK, M-A-T-T-E-K, to save 10% on your $39.99 subscription. And uh, if you want to support the show, you can, of course, leave a rating and review on iTunes under the Tatecast, a mostly sports podcast. And you can subscribe to the Patreon, patreon.com slash Tatecast to get bonus episodes of the show, get access to our Patreon uh, Discord, and uh, much more. And with that, let's get into the episode. 
Hey everyone, just wanted to take a little moment out of the show to tell you about a new podcast that I have found called Token Talks, which you can find uh, you know wherever you listen to podcasts. On this show, we talk a lot about our content consumption habits, and I generally ask uh, the guests, you know, what kind of podcasts you listen to? What are your podcast consumption habits like? So I found this podcast, wanted to let you guys know about it. Uh, the tone is a little bit different than what we normally do on the show, but I think the listeners that want to go deeper on certain aspects of the future of cryptocurrency and blockchain technology in general will find the show educational and engrossing. And yeah, just wanted to take a moment out of the show. And of course, uh, you know, thank you to Token Talks for, you know, reaching out. All right, everyone, welcoming JJ Zacharyson, the late round quarterback, back onto the show. I think you were like one of like the first four or five guests. I think if if memory serves correctly, you were like episode seven or eight yeah. uh, of the podcast. So you know, a lot a lot's happened since then. The, the 2018 NFL season has happened since then. Did you have a good 2018 NFL season or a bad 2018 NFL season? I'd say it was uh, middle of the road for me. Uh, wasn't wasn't spectacular per se, but you know had some had some good hits. Uh, I'd say overall uh, the the brand was strong with the late round quarter with Patrick Mahomes, a late round quarterback coming out and giving us the best quarterback. Was was he seen. a late round quarterback? I feel like he went like yeah. in all like the best balls. I feel like he went like. Eight, nine, or ten. Is, he was is like that... he was like in that because he was in that like Jimmy G range. Of right. Like, yeah, he like was fringe, right. Fringe, fringe QB one, uh, which is really like like going back to the original literature of the late round quarterback. Like that was the spot where I originally talked about drafting quarterbacks, and then like the position just got so deep, and then streaming became a bigger thing. Um, but like realistically, like the, you know, those are the types of quarterbacks you should be going after. I wasn't necessarily like overly high on Patrick Mahomes. Um, I, I didn't mind him, of course, because he's a you know he had, he had so much raw talent. But he was sort of the quintessential guy that you should be targeting as a late round quarterback. And uh, we actually there was actually a question in the Patreon uh, Discord about Patrick Mahomes and late round quarterback specifically. But I kind of wanted to expand on it a little bit. So obviously Mahomes right now super early best balls. He's going in the second round, and actually. While we're here, I have another strategy thing that I've been wanting to put out somewhere and haven't had the right platform for it yet. In these super early best balls, you can kind of count to about 18 quarterbacks that you're super sure are going to start next year. And then yeah. you get to like the Derek Carr, uh, Ryan Tannehill sort of range. And then you're, you realize like, oh, there are like eight teams that could have a different starting quarterback next year, could be starting a rookie, could be starting someone who's a free agency right now. So two-pronged question. First, would you be willing to break the late round quarterback model for Patrick Mahomes? And two, super early best balls. Do you think the late round quarterback strategy still applies when there's a chance that you you might not get two guys who are locked in to start for 16 games? Yeah. So I look. So let's let's answer the first one with Patrick Mahomes. Like I I absolutely think that he's the one quarterback who can hypothetically break the mold. Right. There's going to be some regret. I mean, we saw some regression towards the second half of the season. Not. Not in his play per se, but in the but numbers. just in how the touchdowns came, they yeah, they, right. they ran a little bit more. Uh, yeah, we, Hunt, Hunt, Hunt and Williams Hunt. scored on the ground instead. 
touchdown rate is something that fluctuates and we know will regress to a mean. That's why Russell Wilson, what he did this year is not sustainable at all and why there's going to be a lot of regression from Russell Wilson uh, next season. Oh, we can have an argument on Russell Wilson too because I've been having this argument with Michael Leone. Well, we've been working on our projections for the last week. I mean, well, the problem with Russell Wilson is that they were super, super run heavy this year, which you can't, you can't just like, the, the one thing that I think fantasy managers get wrong all the time is that you can't assume that a play style from a pass to rush ratio standpoint is going to continue year over year. Like right. there, there's going to be some regression. Like the Steelers were super, super pass heavy this year and they're usually fairly pass heavy, but they were, they were more pass heavy than usual this year. So next season, not only were they going to be more run heavy, so this is more, more geared towards like the Antonio Brown Juju situation, you know, if AB leaves, um, but there was going to be some regression in that overall volume. So you have to like, you have to consider that you can't just look at what their stat lines were the previous season. And then, you know, just assume that it's going to remain uh, consistent the next year. But like Russell Wilson, you had a, a run heavy team. You had a, a guy who, so, so because his touchdown rate was so high that made that team have a really high pass to rush touchdown ratio, right? Those sorts of things do regress to, to a mean. And that's why Russell Wilson, I mean, obviously you know, he can put up numbers uh, on the ground. He's still going to be fine. But the way that, that he accumulates those points, even with an increased amount of volume, uh, the touchdowns are not going to be there like they were in 2018. My, my thing with Wilson is that if you're if really in general, if you're selecting a quarterback, the idea like what you guys have always said on Living the Stream is you want to take a guy who could maybe turn into something more than a streamer, who could be a guy that you start every single week. And if you're getting, if Russell Wilson goes in like the eighth, ninth round sort of range, I'm okay taking him there because the upside, if Seattle decides to be a more forward thinking team in terms of passing the ball more often, running the ball less often, his ceiling is the top quarterback in fantasy. Well, yeah, sure, sure. So sure. I'm cool with taking Wilson. This I, I agree with that. The one thing, the one thing to keep in mind, just to give you some more context around the touchdown rate thing, only one quarterback in NF, modern NFL history has had an 8% touchdown rate for more than one season. And that's Peyton, Peyton Manning. Manning. Yeah, yeah. Right. I listen to the podcast, bro. Yeah. I know. Yeah. <laughs> like I think, I think the most likely scenario is that his rates decrease, but his volume increases. Cause I just think that, you know, no matter how dense we think Pete Carroll and Brian Schottenheimer are, I think that if you just look at what they put on the field last season and how they played and those guys look back at it, they're going to realize it didn't work. Like, I just think that any reasonable human can, I, I don't think that coaches are that dumb, at least the, those coaches. I think the problem with a team like Seattle is that like, you know, in the context of it didn't work, it did work. Like what they did worked in terms of like their running game was efficient right yeah it was so, not bad but but like but like in the context of what they could have done with Russell Wilson throwing right. the ball it's a dumb strategy right but yeah. the the fear with a coach like Pete Carroll and an offensive coordinator like Brian Schottenheimer is that they don't they don't care because they see that this one aspect of this game really really worked well so we're going to focus on that aspect you know well, and I mean? they're they're both believers in that old. I can't remember if it was Bill Parcells or Bill Walsh, but the completed passes plus number of rushes. Yeah, metric. right. Like yeah. they both they both really buy into that as like the this like super successful offensive metric. It, it, it's it's no different than when people look at a team like Pittsburgh this year and they see how the Steelers didn't run the ball as much as they have historically, and the Steelers ranked thirty first in overall rushing yards this season. So the Steelers' running game sucked, but 
what you're doing is you're, you're throwing the ball more as a result of that, because you can only do some, you know, you can only throw the ball if you're not running the ball. Right. And when you're throwing the ball more, you're, you're inherently more effective, especially if you have a top 10 or fringe top 10 quarterback like Ben Roethlisberger or Josh Dobbs fringe top 10 quarterback oh, yeah. or, Josh, or Josh Dobbs. That one pass against Baltimore though. That was pretty dope. So sweet. Um, so the, the second thing though, is the, is the best ball. Cause like, I don't know if you've started doing them yet. I've, yeah. I'm, so, I've already done like five. Yeah. So I, I think that early in the season, you have to be more conservative because you only have so much information. You have to go off the information that you have. And what the information that we have is that, like you said, there's a handful of teams that we don't even know who their starting quarterback is going to be next year. So all of a sudden, instead of your pool of usable quarterbacks being 28 to 30, it's 18 to 22, right? There's just not as many. And when there's not as many, that just brings up the need to have those players because the scarcity, just be- they become more scarce, right? Um, so from that, from that standpoint, it makes more sense to get more locked in guys in their roles. I don't think that means that you need to like absolutely get Patrick Mahomes in the second round. No, I haven't, I haven't taken Mahomes yet. I probably yeah. will though in best ball because I don't have to like sweat. I just, you know, I'll have so many of them. I, I probably will take Patrick Mahomes in the second in a couple of them. It's too, it's too rich for me. I think that he would make a lot more sense in like the mid fourth. Yeah, like what, Rod, like what Rodgers used to be in industry drafts when Rodgers was Rodgers. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's before we had the depth that we do at, at the position. So there's more replaceability week in, week out at the position. But like, like I, I think early on you have to go with what's, what's known. So if you're you know, looking at Ben Roethlisberger types, Philip Rivers types, like you know that they're going to be playing and you know that they're going to be at least, you know, probably at least low-end QB1s, right? Yeah, so I'm, that, I'm going super zero RB early because there are some guys who I think are going in like the 10th round or whatever who project for like, I think like Naheem Hines is a guy, I think his ADP right now on draft is like 150th overall. Yeah. So like, I just, I just like take him every time is sometimes yeah, like even so much, my third so running back. Turnover. Yeah, there's so much turnover at running back too that it, it makes sense. Yeah. Uh, so we got a question on Twitter from Chalk 89 and I, neither of us have done a study on this, but it is something that I thought was pretty interesting. Uh, Frisco Josh and Ben Baldwin have done a lot of talk about play action and about how effective it is. And uh, I was wondering, what do you think the efficiency might be on uh like pump fakes like whether it be the the immediate pump fake like my favorite play and they used to have this in the old ncaa college football games the sluggo where you fake it to the wide receiver in the slot and then the quarterback does the designed rollout that was always one of my favorites or the uh the fake pass handoff do you think that that is maybe a trend that could emerge a little bit more in 2019 as teams try and get more creative with their misdirection yeah, I think the problem that you might run into from uh, a, a, a calculation standpoint is that not all not all pump fakes then result in a pass that happens immediately after. Right. right? Yeah. So the so with play action, it's a very easy thing. Like this is a play action play, right? Like you know that in terms of of calculating it and, and seeing whether or not it was effective or not. Whereas like a pump fake, like someone could pump fake and then continue to roll out. Right. And, and right. So I think that's where like, it would be a lot more difficult to measure, but yeah, I mean, I think it's really interesting. I would assume that, and not only that, so like, like with the play action debate, I, I, I personally believe that people have thought about, and you know, this has been talked about by smart guys like, like Josh and stuff, but, um, and, and Ben Baldwin and so on. But 
I, I personally think that play action, like that quarterbacks don't get enough credit for how play action can be. Effective. Well, and how they're pl- like, I think this is a, this is a sneaky thing. I think Jared Goff is very good at play faking. Like I think some quarterbacks are not good at selling yeah. it while they're doing it. And I think Goff in particular, something about his motion or the way he like the way he does it, I think is actually very good. And I think gets the linebackers to bite at yeah. like a more, uh, like just at a, at a higher clip. And I think that's something that McVay noticed about Goff early on. And that's why they made it such a big part of their offense. Yeah. I, I don't think that we can just credit the play action pass to being, uh, to, to, to credit it to linebackers biting because of, of the running game. I think that they could be biting because the quarterback is sneaky good at doing it, right? Like Peyton Manning is just good at doing it or, or what have you. Russell Wilson, really, really good at, at, at just selling the, 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 the run. Um, but I, I think it would be interesting. I think that a really good case study would be the Steelers because they don't run that much play action. But Ben Roethlisberger is like known for his, his pump fake, right? Like, yeah. Like, like it would be a really, really interesting thing to just see if that has any bearing on how effective he is with those passes because there would be a larger sample too. I just, I mean, is anywhere, is there anywhere even measuring that right now? Like, I, I don't, I don't think. Probably yeah, not, no. Yeah, like I don't even know if there's a place that's measuring the. the you'd the have to, you'd have to get into the weeds with the play-by-play data and that might not even be in the play-by-play data, honestly. Yeah, yeah. I don't, that's a really interesting question though. I haven't done a study on it though. What do you think? What do you think the split between um, James Conner and Jalen Samuels is going to be Ooh. in 2019? This is a this is a super big question right now because Jalen Samuels is like free in these drafts. Yeah. Right so now. my my issue, I hate hate blanketing offensive coordinator data. There's nothing that annoys me more. Like like yeah. the, the the Kyle Shanahan feeds his ex receiver narrative. You remember that with like Andre Johnson. And then Julio Jones. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, what about the seasons where it didn't happen? Because they didn't right. have Andre Johnson and Julio Jones. So you know that if AB goes to San Francisco, that's going to be brought up again with the, the, the Kyle Shanahan narrative. So, my, so to, to kind of play into that, the Steelers have historically, you know, in, in, under Tomlin mostly, have run, uh, have, have run a workhorse back, right? Um, but they've also had Le'Veon Bell. And then when Le'Veon Bell went down, D'Angelo Williams didn't really have anyone behind him on the depth chart, and he was capable of being a workhorse back. And then this year, without Le'Veon Bell, James Conner steps in, and some folks might say, well, what about Jalen? Jalen Samuels was a legit Swiss Army knife at NC State. Jalen yeah, Samuels – He never had more than, I think, 85 carries at yeah, NC State. Like, yeah, like, like Jalen Samuels was not ready to be any sort of workhorse back or even in a committee to start the season. So it makes sense that James Conner saw the volume that he saw to start the year and then when he got hurt, Jaylen, it was later in the season when Jalen Samuels just had more reps. And then Jalen Samuels was able to see a decent, a decent uh, market share in that backfield. What I think is going to happen is that we should throw that narrative in the garbage. And I, I do fear that James Conner – I think – look, James Conner is going to see more volume on the ground than Jalen Samuels will. There's, there's no doubt about it. But I don't think that we should automatically project James Conner to see more than 60% of the team's carries right? Or more than 65%, let's say. Like, he's not going to hit, like, like the, the crazy 70%. Like, Le- like Le'Veon's, like, 85% market yeah, like share of the never, team's he's, rushing he's attempts. Never, yeah, he's never going to hit. He, he's not going to hit that. And, and I think the bigger fear is that J- we know Jalen Samuels is a really good pass, catching, pass catcher, and 
they're going to throw him on the field in those situations. They, so, they hired the Steelers hired Jalen yes. Samuels college position coach to be on their staff this season. It, exactly. And then think also think also if AB does leave, that's going to open up some volume in that offense. I think Jalen Samuels is very, very interesting next season. Very interesting. AB is going to leave, bro. Yeah. I mean, like I, I I've accepted, I, I, Look, I don't even – it's nice that I have to analyze football as my job because I've become a lot more detached of the fandom side of things for football. Um, hockey and stuff, like, I'm still, like, diehard with, with the way I approach the Penguins uh, because I am – I'm from Pittsburgh, for, for those of you who don't know. Um, I, I hate – like, I hate what the Steelers are doing right now. Like, it's they're, – they're so not likable at all. Would you, would you feel that it was a bad move to get rid of A.B. if there wasn't a penalty for moving his contract? Like, if, like if the NFL CBA was like the NBA CBA where you're effectively trading for someone's contract, would you feel the same way? Or would you feel like it's a good move to get off of $24 million owed to a 31-year-old speed wide receiver? Yeah, I mean, like, like I think in, a, in an ideal world, if none of this crap was going down, like, of course you would want A-B on your team, right? Like, especially now, because the Steelers are still in win-now mode. Um, you only have three more years, probably, at most, with Ben Roethlisberger. They, the um, best wide receiver on the team, though, he's, he's there. He's there to stay. Right. Juju's that's not right. going anywhere, bro. Dude, I swear, because, like, the Steelers went through, like, Mike Wallace had some diva moments, and now it's, like, A-B. And, like, like I swear, if they ruin Juju... It's, it's going to be he's crazy young still. I think Juju is still only 21 years old. Yeah, I think, yeah, he's 21 or 22. But if they ruin Juju, that's going to be the worst. Um, but no, I mean, like where the Steelers are right now, I think that you kind of have to try to get something for AB. I, I think that what, what's going what's gonna to happen is that fans are not going to understand that he's not going to fetch this massive return. Like, like, I think fans... No one, are, no one does in the NFL. It was, like, unheard of that Amari Cooper got a first-round pick, and it was only because he was still on his rookie deal. Right, so, so that's a good example to compare to, because Amari Cooper, people see that, okay, Amari Cooper is objectively not as good as Antonio Brown. And to an average fan, they're like, well, why can't the Steelers just get a first-round pick for Antonio Brown? That's not how it works. Antonio Brown's going to be 31 next year. He's, I mean, it, it's, he's, he's not in a situation, uh, or it's not a situation where teams are just... You know, he, he's going to probably – how many years left do you think Antonio Brown has of elite production? Two? Zero. I, I think I mean, he's – I think I, mean, he, I, I legitimately I believe – I legitimately believe that in terms of efficiency, Antonio Brown is now on – he's now on the – I don't think he's Jerry Rice. So I think that he is on the declining efficiency treadmill for the remainder of however long he plays. I Not think, that he couldn't post good raw numbers with, like, solid target numbers. Yeah, yeah okay. So, so that, that's, that's, yeah. So like from a fantasy standpoint, like, and just like from fantasy, a fantasy, I think he'll still be a wide receiver one regardless because right. either the Steelers would target him a bunch or if a team traded for him. But I think in terms of like yards per target and stuff, I think he is now on the, he's now on the decline. Yeah. I think, well, part of the reason for part of his issue last year was there was definitely a, a force feeding situation with, with him and Ben. Like there was just, I mean, it was, it was bad. Like his catchable target rate was horrible last year. Um, but you know, I, I think that real, you know, if AB stays in Pittsburgh, which I, I tweeted about this yesterday, but like, I feel like Pittsburgh has to be the best place for him from a fantasy production standpoint. Like, would you agree with that? Like it's got like, where, where else is he going to put up the numbers that he's posting? I mean, if, if he gets traded to San Francisco, he, San Francisco could, get a, the only one. That's he could get, only, he could get 180 targets from Jimmy G in San Francisco. Right, but is that, is that not the only place that you could maybe match his production in Pittsburgh? 
Yeah, I think I. I mean, I guess I, maybe maybe the Jets. Maybe he gets 180 targets if he's a New yeah, York but Jet. You're, yeah, but look look at the look at the quarterback. Like I, I don't mind Darnold, but like you, you, he's going to have to grow into that role. He's not he's not going to sling it like the way that Roethlisberger or even Garoppolo would. So like my my fear, and they're not they're probably not going to be as pass heavy because they're not going to want to put the game in his hands that way. So to me, like this is like. If, if A.B. were to stay in Pittsburgh, he'd probably have two years left of elite production, just from a, from a numbers-driven standpoint. So Yeah, that feels goes, about right. If he goes somewhere else, there's a learning curve. We know that there's, there have been issues with, with wide receivers switching teams, and we shouldn't expect the world from them when they do switch. I mean, Amari Cooper is such an anomaly from, from that standpoint, the way that he produced whenever he first got to Dallas, that you know, I, I think that there, there could be some growing pains, and it could be an issue. So all of that combined, I just don't think the Steelers are going to fetch all that much for Antonio Brown. I mean, there was one Steelers beat writer who talked about them getting basically like a fifth for AB, which I, I think is way too cheap. But um, it, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be interesting. It's going to be interesting. Yeah. I mean, it is. And I, I, do, I do wish that the NFL rules were different to allow trades to happen a little bit easier because it would just it would be way more fun to speculate yeah. on all of these teams giving up first round picks or player for player trades or whatever. But the fact that Pittsburgh just has to eat all this money if they trade them makes it way less fun. Yeah, no, I totally agree. Uh, do you think that the like super pass heavy shift of like the first eight weeks of the 2018 season is going to be something that we continue to see? Like our team's going to continue to pass more, go for it on fourth down more. Like, is that stuff that we should be building in to fantasy football projections? I hope so. Um, you know, this, this past season we saw uh, within number fires expected points model, we saw the highest success rate at quarterback since 2000. It dates back to 2000. Saw the highest success rate. Saw the second highest per pass uh, efficiency. Um, so I mean, it's 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 a thing. You know, from that from that standpoint, you're, you're we're becoming the league is becoming more efficient throwing the ball. So you would think that logic would win out, and uh, you would you would you would have more of a, a pass friendly approach. I think that the main key. And we saw it with the coaching hires uh, this time around is that there are more offensive minded coaches being hired, which there should be. Right. People, people get very angry about that. It's like, no, there should be the, the, the offense drives. There's, there's like such low stickiness year to year with defensive performance that you need a good offensive scheme. You need a good quarterback. You need all that to come together. It makes sense to hire an offensive mind. Um, so the fact that they're hiring more offensive minds uh, and those minds are also younger. Um, which just, you know, generally means that they're probably going to be a little bit more open-minded to this newer NFL. That's nothing against older people. It's just the way that you know, just the way it is. they're being raised on this ground and pound approach and all of a sudden things are changing. So when you get these younger, younger folks coaching teams, uh, they're naturally going to, going to probably have more of a pass heavy approach. So I think from that standpoint, yes. Right. Like, like we, we probably should, but there's still going to be teams like Jacksonville, who think that you can you can win the Super Bowl by strictly running the ball offensively, but it's that's not a sustainable way of building a team. Uh, another trend that I think did not get covered as much last year is that there are fewer true like dominant target share guys. Like most teams are targeting like three, four, five guys. I think like Julio. Thielen, Diggs, A B, Juju, yep. Evans. But there were there were not many guys with greater than like a twenty-two percent target share last year. Yeah, I did a podcast on that actually and and found that that we're seeing that. And I 
you know, from a fantasy perspective, people usually take that information and, and go with it the wrong direction. Uh, because what it means is that a guy like DeAndre Hopkins, who's like locked in at this like 28 to 32% target share each year. And since there's fewer of those types of players, that makes DeAndre Hopkins more valuable, not less valuable. Just because right. the position is moving in that direction, it actually makes those unicorns more valuable than they were before. But yeah, there's, there's been a shift. Um, I think a lot of it just has to do with the spread offense. Uh, we're seeing a lot more 11 personnel. Um, that's just naturally what's going to happen. But scoring, wide receiver, like touchdown scoring this past year was up from the previous season. A lot of that probably has to do with the fact that quarterback play was just better. Um, but we're seeing that the, even their, their touchdown share was, was uh, better from the previous season. I think, I think overall, you know, it's, it's definitely a trend that we're going to continue to see just, just given the, uh, the changes that we're seeing offensively throughout the league. All right. Got another question from someone on Twitter at B Glaze. What would elicit the biggest emotion during the draft for you? More teams using trades to trade back and stockpile picks. Your favorite prospect lands on a fun team or uh, the crusty losers like uh, Dave Gettleman make super incompetent picks. I have the, I have the answer. I wonder what yours is. Um, of all those, I mean, look, I, I love when incompetent GMs or when, when GMs make incompetent picks, but the, the incompetent picks is le- like, I, I think people get it wrong when they say like, Oh, it's, it's, you know, they, they pick the wrong wide receiver. They pick the wrong X position. It's not that it's all about positional value. It's whenever they like do what, what the giants did last year and take a running back with the second overall pick. when we know that, that position is not valuable because there's so much that goes into that, whether it's the contracts, whether it's, whether it's the, the value of the position itself and the impact that a good running back can make, that's when it's so much fun to just see the conversations on Twitter and social media um, about team building and such. I, I mean, that's probably my answer to this question. It's probably that. Probably the GMs making these incompetent picks. Um, but I also love when, I mean, it's fun, it's fun whenever a prospect that you love lands on a good team. I mean, it's definitely for me, it is watching horrible GMs. Like if, yeah. like if, um, if Gettleman like trades up for like Will Greer, who's like, you right. know, the fourth or fifth best quarterback, but like, it, like that would be by far the funniest thing to me is if everyone spends all off season arguing about Saquon hold during the season with, and then the, you know, the Saquon truthers say, well, they'll just draft a quarterback next year. And then if they take like the worst reasonable one, like if right. they, if they do the equivalent of taking, um, who is the oh, EJ Manuel in the first Manuel. round or whatever? Like if they take if they take Will Greer at number five, like I, I would be doubled over. It, it would it would make me truly like a level of happiness that's like a real human joy to watch yeah. them do that. Yeah, I, I it, it's also interesting that I mean like you can you can basically like pinpoint which teams are gonna do stupid things like that, like going going into a going into a particular draft, and like you can like. I, the thing that annoys me so much about uh, the way that, you know, like criticizing GMs like that is how people react and they're like, well, they're GMs. They know what they're doing. It's like, dude. Yeah, the, the appeal to authority. Yeah, exactly. These decisions that some of these GMs are making, like I, I can't be a GM. That doesn't mean that I can't criticize what GMs are doing because some of the decisions that they're making are so beyond egregious and they're so objectively egregious that we should be able to criticize what they're doing. 
Yeah, I mean, and it's like if you're if you're not on Twitter, if you're not interacting with football media to hear criticisms of people in front office positions, and like, what are you even doing? Yeah, exactly. Like, so like, what, what are you even doing? And and Giants fans, of course, just have these super. They they just have this thin skin because everyone wants to discredit the Super Bowls that they won, right. and everyone thinks their quarterback is a loser, and everyone thinks their GM is a loser. So like Giants fans, despite like the relative success of the team over like the last fifteen years, they still just have this horrible thin skin just because right. everyone mocks them all the time. Yeah, I mean, look, whenever whenever stuff like that goes down, it makes for good content and it makes for good conversation. And that's tremendous makes, content. Yeah, yeah, that, that's what we should be striving for. Yeah. Uh, all right. Uh, so something that someone brought up in the, uh, the Patreon again was something I think you are particularly talented at, which is analytics really is becoming more and more a part of the conversation, like not just on Twitter, but they're talking about these stuff, uh, like on the broadcast, like they're talking about, uh, you know, win expectancy, the Thursday night games include, uh, NFL next gen stats because they're powered by Amazon web services. And I think that one of the key things now for personalities is figuring out how to explain a lot of these ideas without being condescending or not being like the, you know, the well actually guy. And uh, something that a couple of the listeners wanted to ask you about was how you go about breaking down these ideas and passing them on without being condescending, kind of like what's your, what's your process and what's your general feel about how the analytics community uh, dispels these ideas? Yeah, I mean, this is something that I've I've really focused on and, and thought a lot about um, because I think it's it's important. You know, one of the things that I've I've tried to focus on throughout my career is just being a good communicator of sort of complex information, right? Like, I can't sit here and pretend that I can do a lot of the things that that other numbers driven analysts are doing, right? Because some of the things that they're doing are absolutely insane. I'm not smart enough to do some of that stuff. Um, but what I've found is that there's this big bridge. Uh, that sort of needs to, to be built to connect that type of analysis to everyday fans, right? Like a lot of people aren't going to understand some of the graphs that are posted on Twitter. They're just, they're, they're just not going to understand it. Right. So what I've tried to do with like the late round podcast, for instance, is make a concise show, which differentiated it automatically because there's a lot of like hour long podcasts out there. And this is a very short, quick, you know, get the information you need and get out of there. But what it does for me is it, it, it has, like, it allows me to focus on only what's important. And when you focus on only what's important, you're explaining that important stuff. Uh, that means that you're being more direct in explaining what needs to be explained. Um, you know, I, I think it's, it's really easy, you know, to your point, it's really easy to sound like you're talking down on people when you're talking about data because data is evidence. And a lot of football fans don't have takes based on evidence. So when they hear, something that you're saying, you know, like running backs don't matter because X, Y, Z, and they hear that, uh, they're not used to hearing evidence-based takes with football because football has been a very qualitative driven sport, right. From, from an analysis standpoint. Right. Um, and there've been, there've been studies done. This is, this is, this is what I think is key with my realization and how I approach all of this is that there have been studies done on the human psychology and how people get more stuck in their own ways when they're presented information to the contrary. So if you see idiots out there that are, that are touting that vaccines are bad, when studies come out and they say, no, vaccines are actually good, those anti-vaxxers are actually becoming more stuck in their ways because right. they can't, it's very difficult for human beings to admit that they're wrong, right? Um, and so that's something that uh, I think people who have a platform 
who have a podcast, who are on Twitter tweeting things, they need to understand that when you're presenting information, you know, whether it's in a video or a podcast, whatever, when you're presenting that information, you have to kind of be gentle with how you're presenting these evidence-based facts because there are going to be a large group, unless you like, you know, don't care if people are yelling at you all the time. Um, you have to just I, be- I don't mind. I don't yeah, mind. Yeah, right. But like, like I, I think that the, the, there's, a, there's a big difference between me going out there and, and talking about a topic that, yes, I'm doing a ton of research on this stuff, right? Like, like I'm, I'm looking, I'm not going to go on the late round podcast and talk about something that I didn't do research on. And if I, if I didn't do research on it, I'm going to openly admit that I haven't done research on it. But if I'm going to go and talk about something, I'm going to come with facts. I'm going to come with evidence that, that I've, I've seen. And, but I, I have to present it in a way that's more gray area than strictly black and white. Because when you approach it in a black and white way, that's when you invite that, that, the, 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 yeah, the, yeah. I mean, like you have to just be gentle with it and it's, it's not so much. and, And I think it's fine because when you approach it that way, what you're doing is you're, you're opening your own self up for at least some criticism and you're opening yourself up to, to being wrong and you should open yourself up to being wrong. Right. If you're saying, Hey, here's my prospect model. I base all of my prospect work off of production, right? I mean, I watch some stuff, but like, like let's just say that I'm, I'm focusing all my wide receiver and running back prospecting work based on college production. I have a model that associates the important factors of what good, successful NFL running backs and wide receivers have from a, and, and how they performed at, at the college level from a production standpoint. And I'm using those inputs to find which running backs and wide receivers are going to be good at the NFL level. If someone comes at me and they say production doesn't matter, I can't go back at them and say, you're an idiot. Here are all the reasons why production matters. I have to approach it in a way that's, that's a little bit nicer and more gentle because that way, because that way, like you, you're actually having a conversation with that other person and you're able to actually explain what all of that means. And I think way, way too often people get turned off by the analytics community because people who are doing analytics are generally smart. And when you're smart, you have somewhat of a condescending attitude just naturally, right? Like it's, you, you certainly that's the way a lot of people approach being intelligent. Yeah. yeah. I mean like that's the way that people feel whenever you're, whenever you feel like you're smarter than someone else and whenever you have been proven smarter, whether it's throughout your life, you know, you get good grades, you go to a great college, you have a great job, you work your way up at that job. Like you're smart, right? When you have that, that feeling that you're smarter than others, that's going to come off unless you're cognitively and consciously thinking about, uh, being a little bit nicer in your approach to, to all of this. Yeah. Uh, so right now, while we were on air, Joe Flacco just got traded to the Denver Broncos from no the, from the Baltimore Ravens. Yeah. No way. Yeah. Like literally, like literally probably like four minutes ago. Wow. Wow. That's my, that's my doppelganger right there. Yeah. What do you, what do you, what are your instant thoughts on this trade? I kind of still think that Flacco probably will only start like eight games for them and, I think Elway still wants to draft uh, whoever the tallest quarterback is. I mean, he's a, he's a, he's a bridge quarterback, I would say. I, I think that what it does do is probably at least from a, from a 2019 standpoint, you know, you don't have to fear uh, like a guy like Cortland Sutton as much. You know, like for, for you, what you they, think, you think – I don't th- really think Flacco's much of an upgrade on Keenum. I kinda, this kind of makes me lower on Deshaun Hamilton. I mean, I, I don't necessarily think that he's an upgrade from Keenum, but – 
for what the Broncos could hypothetically be. Yeah, he's, a, he's an upgrade from Will Greer. That's or, what I'm saying. Or right. Easton Stick. Yeah. Right. Right. That, that's that's mostly what I mean. So, yeah, that's 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 pretty interesting though. Crazy. Love Lamar, trades. Lamar Jackson Love trades. Yeah, Just, Lamar. I mean, Lamar was always going to be the starter, but now yeah, six, yeah. sixteen games of him. That, yeah. That's that's a good uh, rookie quarterbacks. The the five rookies from last year, uh, everyone agrees Baker's obviously the best. He's just gonna be he's gonna be a star for ten plus years or whatever. Who do you think is the not fantasy wise but NFL wise second best quarterback uh, next you know five six years of that group? Darnold. Yeah, I think so too. And I don't think that's a, a I think I. I, I've waffled on this a lot. I've put Lamar up there. I've put Darnold up there. But Darnold has, like, the arm talent. Like, he can make the throws. I, I mean, I wouldn't be shocked, though, if – look, this is, this is a take that I never thought I'd be saying, but I wouldn't be shocked if Josh Allen's up there, too. I mean, True. Josh Allen could be in the CFL in four years, or he could be in the – That's football. what I'm saying. Like, it, it, like, it's just, like, whatever, you know. Yeah, right. It's, like, not even – it's not even worthwhile to spend time projecting Josh Allen because <laughs> it's just, like – like, I've never seen a quarterback with a wider range of outcomes. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty uh, – I'm pretty worried about Rosen and the main – so, with Rosen coming out, my top comp was an easy one. It was, it was Goff. Like, he was, he was Jared Yeah, Goff. he's very Goffy. Um, and I, I don't <laughs> – I don't know if Jared Goff is like that great. Like even today, you know, I think that, I think that he's a little bit overvalued and overrated. He, he has his moments. I mean, like you look at that Vite, remember that Vikings game uh, earlier, yeah. like it was early in the season. Like he was brilliant in that game. Like he, he's not a bad quarterback, but I, I worry about the sustainability of Jared Goff and being a consistently really good quarterback. Um, I, I think Rosen does need, uh, you know, like obviously Goff needed a, a McVay and needed a system. And I, I think that's the case with Rosen. Maybe Cliff is the guy. Um, but there is some fear for me from me with Josh Rosen. Cliff, bro, Cliff is trading Rosen to the Giants and taking Kyler. No, yeah, that's not happening. That's not happening. You don't think so? You think it's it's 0% that Rosen gets traded? I think it's like, I mean, I, I never say, Davis, I just talked about how I think in the I think end. I think it's got to be at least 10%. Because if you're Cliff Kingsbury and you know the offense you want to run, you have to look at Josh Rosen's tape for the last three years and then look at Kyler's tape from last year and just be like, my God, it, this is like, <laughs> this is like a, this is like a 2012 Honda Civic versus, uh, you know, a, a 1975 Ferrari or whatever. Just like, no, I the, mean, like, yeah, I mean, he's made comments too about Kyler and 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 whatnot. I would say I would put it at like two percent. Two percent feels like a good number. Like if I got if I got like realistically, to, yeah, if I got if I got like a, a like very good odds, like twenty to one or whatever, I would bet that. Yeah, I mean, like I could see it happening. I just don't think that it's very likely at all. But um, yeah, I mean, if Cliff is the guy for Rosen, then that that I mean, I think I think Rosen needs that guy. I I look, I do fear. I, I love Lamar Jackson. Um, I think that that he's really really fun. I think he's he's seems like a like a fun dude. Um but I worry about the sustainability year over year. Like that that Ravens team Well, if 20- he ever if he ever gets hurt. I mean, if he ever if he ever take if he ever takes a shot to the shoulder. Yeah. Like that's it for and he's he's like he's similar to Kyler. He's not that big. I think he's 205 pounds. Yeah, I mean like like I I worry about like him not progressing as uh, with his arm. Um, and I worry about the sustainability of what they did on offense, but also the fact, like I mentioned earlier, like defensive performance is not very sticky year over year. So if you're building a team that's 
very, very, you know, the, like it's not like the offense was, was that incredible with, with Lamar Jackson. It was fun to watch. It was interesting because Lamar Jackson was maybe not fun to watch, but it was interesting because Lamar Jackson was running the ball so much. I kind of, I kind of love the idea of like, this will never happen in the NFL, but I hope the AAF has a triple option team and they, they legit just run 60 times a game. Like that would be fun for me. I mean, yeah, I'd love to watch it, but like, and just see, see what would happen. But like, I don't know, man, like the way that the Ravens are built structurally, like I hate teams that just from, from like a betting standpoint or like whatever that have built around a defense that you think have this elite defense that those, that, that usually has some variance year over year. And then if their quarterback and their offensive scheme is risky, that just makes that team unbelievably high variance. Like that's why I think the AFC North, the, the most stable team in the North right now is the Browns. Well, like, yeah, like the Browns have the Browns have the goat coaching staff. Like I, I, I think I, I don't, I don't even think. I, I, maybe this is hot. I don't know. I think the Browns are just going to win the North next year. Yeah, I think that's a fairly like I, I don't know if they're the favorites, but I think that a lot of people uh, are on that bandwagon. Yeah, I mean, like, like the way they're the way they're built, the way they're coached, all of that. Like, I think that they're going to win the North. Yeah, I mean, are you are you pretty high on Kitchens and Munkin? Yeah, I mean you have to be, and I'm obsessed with Baker. Like it's 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 an awesome situation. Very yeah. happy for Cleveland. Yeah, it. Uh, and are you happy for them as a Steelers fan, or are you just like whatever? I kind of hope the Steelers set everything on fire and find a way to be good in yeah. three years. Like I, I'm, yeah, I, I don't really, I don't really care. I, I'm, I'm kind of approaching uh, fandom from like a pretty nihilistic perspective. Um, so I, I, I just, you know, nothing, nothing really matters from a fandom standpoint. I, I, I don't. I don't care uh, with football that much anymore because I have to look at it so objectively now um, that I can, I can sit back and root for the Browns and not even think twice. Yeah, I, I, I guess I'm sort of that way. I just gave up on the Cowboys, and it was just like whatever Patrick Mahomes season. Yeah, like, like look, I'll still root. I'm still going to root for the Steelers. I just don't let – like, I think it's – I don't want to say pathetic. That's, that's too harsh. It's kind of mean. But, like, when, a, when, a, when your team loses and it ruins your week, like, you got you to gotta reevaluate it. Sammy, Sammy Reed still feels that way about the Steelers every week. Like I text him while the Steelers are losing, like, oh man, your team sucks so bad. They're such losers. And he like gets mad at me. He yeah, like, look, his like feelings get hurt. I was like that as a teenager and like into my like early, you know, like my college years. Like I, my, I had, I had season tickets for the Steelers growing up. My, my parents had them. So like I went to games all the time. I was a huge diehard fan, still am somewhat of a diehard fan, but like, I think you got to like take a step back with fandom and be like, yo, this really isn't that worthwhile to get so upset over. It does not matter that much. Yeah, no, it doesn't. It doesn't matter. Um, all right. Any other, any other, Oh, what are we going to be arguing about on Twitter in 2019? Uh, quarterback height. That's a big one on Twitter right now. Uh, does Sean McVay actually suck? Uh, what are, what are you, what do you think projecting nine months from now? What do you think we're going to be arguing about on, uh, on Twitter.com? I think instead of McVeigh, I think that we're going to talk about Jared Goff specifically and whether or not he's good or not. Um, but, but I think at like a greater top, like a higher level topic, I wouldn't be shocked if we're talking about like the importance of quarterbacks and like locking in these quarterbacks and, and thinking more instead of, you know, rookie deal or signing a veteran to a huge deal and taping, taking up a, a, a ton of uh, cap space. I think a lot of people are going to think in terms of like, look at the success that a team like uh, Philly had and, and Minnesota with Case Keenum and, 
and so on. And they're going to think in terms of like, like you can get cheap quarterbacks out of the free agency and still succeed, even though they're looking at really bad samples and such. I think that's going to be a, a, a topic that people focuses on a little bit. Yeah, and although I think uh, the discourse is always better when a new team wins a Super Bowl versus when the Patriots win a Super Bowl, because then the whole next year everyone's like, oh, well, this team did this, and now other teams are copying it. And uh, there's just not a great way to do that when the Patriots win. Well, yeah, yeah. my other note on this was that I do think that we're going to have the the, uh, running games really matter uh, discussion. Uh, just because of what New England did throughout the second half of the season or the latter parts of the season and into the playoffs. They got so lucky to win those games. I mean, look. They look, got so lucky. The, the, the problem is that, like, the, the discussion is never, like, like, can running games be effective? It's do running backs matter specifically? Like, they don't. Those, I, I, am, I fully agree, first of all, that running backs don't. But I, I, I do think that the – I actually think the third most valuable position in the NFL now, it's quarterback, it's edge rusher, and I think offensive linemen. I think having uh, like a big chunkier cap, a big chunkier draft picks going to getting not just five good offensive linemen, but like seven good offensive linemen so you can rotate them in the games, you have good swing tackles. I think that is so important now. Yeah, I mean, look, the the bottom line, and this is what I've been saying for a while, is that when you're when you're team building you're finding players that can stop the pass and that can enhance the pass and part of that is uh via the offensive line and pass blocking i mean you should look the patriots won uh, and they beat the chiefs because they could run block right like that particular game that's why they no, won they, that game. they beat the chiefs because, because d ford went off sides because d ford went off sides and because uh let's not forget that julian Edelman's thumb absolutely touched that ball Oh, right. That's well, and they, the real reason they won is that Eric Berry was out there, uh, you know, right. at, at a key play of the game, you know, defending Rob Gronkowski. Right. But, like, like I, I, I think that the, the, the issue that people have with the, with the running game is not – like, there shouldn't be that much of a discussion of, like, can a running game be effective? The discussion should be what are the inputs that are making a running game effective? Right, like, is it scheme? Is it offensive line play? Is it running back play? Those are the things that we should be discussing, not whether or not something can be effective or not as a whole. Yeah, no, I, I definitely agree with that. I think there will be a lot of arguing about uh, about not only Sean McVay but all the coaches that are hired in the McVay mold. Like, people are going to yeah, argue yeah. about this Bengals coach Zach Taylor because yeah, Zach yeah. Zach Taylor has like no resume. He's like thirty four. He was like an assistant wide receiver coach 18 months ago. Yeah. And now he's the head coach of the Bengals. You just refer to him as this Bengals coach. That's, that tells you enough. Like it's, it's someone that no one knows anything about. I mean, look, I give teams credit for at least like breaking the mold and get, well, maybe it's not much of breaking the mold whenever it's just like, I touched Sean McVay and therefore I'm going to hire this guy. But like, at least they're not like getting Adam Gase, right? Like at least they're, they're doing something at least a little bit interesting. Yeah. Uh, I mean, hiring Adam Gase was like clearly uh, just like a, a miserable, dumb thing to do by the Jets. Like, like I don't understand. Like, why would you hire a guy who's not only for like football, like analytics reasons, but like football man, like culture reasons, his players hated him in Miami. Yeah. Why are you hiring this guy? Yeah. I, he, Adam Gase is really, really crazy because uh, he actually got a, a decent amount out of the teams that he had. From, from a win-loss perspective, but the teams were never actually good. It was just like, like, like he like sort of just got lucky every year. 
So like, it's, it's a really interesting case um, of how maybe a front office would view that because I think a front office might view Gase as like, like, okay, like they had, they, they had a decent enough seasons with pretty bad, with a pretty bad roster. And I um, guess that's probably what the Jets are thinking is like, let's, let, let's, let's win eight games with this awful roster that like is just completely yeah. devoid of talented players. Right. Instead of, instead of going with more of a high variance move where you can like make a legitimate leap. Yeah. I think that's the way that that front office has kind of viewed them. And they should be getting ready. Like, like Tom Brady is going to be 42 years old. The Jets should be ready to win that division because that division sucks. It does. It does. All right. Uh, some non-football talk before we go over. We're going we're gonna to talk about the NFL draft over on the Patreon uh, version of this podcast. But who do you main in Overwatch? And uh, I actually was wondering, do you play any of the other Battle Royale games? Because Overwatch is a Battle Royale game, right? No, it's like a it's like a six v six objective type game. Okay, like like so it, it it's 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 cool. I I main Lucio. He's like this. He's a healer. He like super- you're a healer, bro. Isn't that like isn't that like total uh, like that's no one wants to be the healer. I thought. Yeah, in a way, most people there's like three main classes. There's tanks, uh, healers, and and DPS. And most people just play play DPS heroes because. They want to just kill people and, and be those right. guys. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, but the Lucio is this like he like is super fast and you can like do like he's fun to play as, so it's not as bad from a healing perspective. Uh, but yeah, most people don't want to play as healers. And then the battle royale question, I started playing. I, I I played Fortnite for a day and hated the living hell out of it. It's so hard. Fortnite is so incredibly it's difficult. Just, it's just dumb. Like, why are you playing? First off, third. I, I don't. I'm not a big third person shooter guy. Um, right. But like the game then, so you have third person then on top, it's like the building mechanisms are stupid. Like I, I just don't like it. So, but I did start last week. I started playing Apex Legends. Apex Legends. Yeah. Yeah. And like, I, I actually kind of dig it. It's actually pretty sweet. Um, I am not very good, but I hop on with some buddies and, and play and, and try to be good. It's just, I, I never had the, um, like the quick Twitch reactions to be good enough at, uh, at battle Royale games. Like I was never good at call of duty, was never good at halo. Yeah. That's the thing. That's the thing you have. I, I, back in the day I was really good at halo, but like, like you have to be in apex legends in particular, what I found, like you have to be so decisive. Like it is insane. You can't even, you can't even remotely like waffle on a choice. Like you can't be like, should I throw a grenade here or should I start shooting this guy or should I, you got to just do it. And I'm, I'm now a dad and I can't think like that. Yeah. And I, I also, uh, like I just, I enjoy sports video games so much more because it just feeds into that fantasy mindset of like building a roster. Yeah, man. I, I got a uh, Madden, uh, Madden 19, um, Maddie F over at EA. Yeah. He, he hooked me up yeah. too. Yeah. So, so I, I get Madden and I, I actually, I, I, I love, love. I did this growing up all the time too, where you, well, growing up, I did like fantasy drafts, you know, with, with buddies where we would do right, like yeah. the 40 round draft or whatever. Um, but with, uh, the Madden that I got, I started franchise mode and I made like a coach. Right. And then I picked the Dolphins, but then I just traded for all my, like I, I traded for like Aaron Jones and Kenny Galladay. And like, like, I don't know why it's so fun to just like. It is, play. it is so freaking fun to <laughs> play Madden franchise mode. Like, like dude, Kenny Galladay scored 17 touchdowns in my, my, my first season. And it was the, the great, and Tyrod Taylor is my quarterback. Like the, the whole, 
just like the, the fantasy aspect of it. It's, 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 it's fun. It's, it's a fun time. Yeah, it is. Uh, I, I play mostly FIFA these days. I I'll play Fortnite every once in a while. If Dude, I'm feeling like, if I'm feeling like just taking an L, but like FIFA is like, obviously what I play the most. I did. I played Madden for probably two months when it first came out, but I played the, I played ultimate team, which okay. is just, okay. yeah, yeah. I mean, that's like ultimate team is incredible. It's all of the things you wanted. Like you can play with Michael Vick and Calvin Johnson and Jerry yeah. Rice and Tony Gonzalez all at the same time. Like, it is pretty cool, but uh, you have to sync a lot. Of, like, microtransactions are just taking over the world, bro. It's crazy. Oh, I know. But it's smart. I mean, it's, it's, it's cool. Like, it's, it's a very, very smart uh, business model. If I, could do, if I could do my life over again, I would uh, do it over again and become an app developer uh, who could create a microtransaction game like Clash of Clans or something. Yeah. We need to, we need to start uh, charging per podcast is what, what needs to happen. But we so need I, we need we need every podcaster to buy into it. Yeah, that's the thing is if there's always alternatives, you you just have to create something to get people to give you like be ni- like and ninety nine cents at a time. Yeah, right. It just has to be that good though. Like, like that. That's what like Apex Legends is really really. It's it's well well done. Well, and I guess the the thing about Apex Legends is that it's free. Yeah, exactly. Like you just get it and then you get sucked in and then you're like, sure. I'll spend 10 bucks on a new legend. Why not? Right. Yeah. And, and so there's this thing happening in some of the sports video games where, um, like some countries in Europe are outlawing the purchase of, uh, like the, the, the point system, like the thing you would use to upgrade the legends. So there's like, you're the equivalent in the game. So there's kind of a a conversation as to like what EA is going to do to make up for that potential loss of income. It would never be banned in the United States though. Never, ever. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. All right, so uh, that's going to do it for us here on uh, on the TakeCast. JJ and I are going to go over to the TakeCast Patreon feed now, and we're going to talk DK Metcalf, Kyler Murray, and some of the other draft guys. But uh, get your get your plugs out right now before we go over to, uh, to the paywall pod. Yeah, uh, I have a podcast, the Late Round Podcast. Uh, let's check that out. I have one called Living the Stream, but that's mostly in season. I'm on Twitter, at LateRoundQB. All my work over on numberfire.com.